Mindfulness Mode 302. You can give them all the strategies you want, and they're just going to stay running on the hamster wheel. You're listening to Mindfulness Mode, and I'm your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Thanks for joining us today. We are still celebrating 300 shows, and I'm excited to say I'm still sending out Mindfulness Mode mugs just for being a listener and subscriber. To get your mug, subscribe to the show and send me a message at bruce at mindfulnessmode.com. Tell me in your message that you've subscribed somewhere along the line, even if it was a long time ago, and tell me what you like about the show. I'll read your comment on an upcoming episode. Here's a comment about the show I received from Joanne. She said, Hello, Bruce. I subscribed to your podcast a couple months ago. I absolutely love listening to your podcast. Three years ago, I began my mindful path. My doctor suggested that I take part in a course, a 13-week course, mindfulness-based stress reduction. Wow. Best medicine ever. I've learned so much more from your guests too. Their knowledge and intimate stories enlighten me on how to apply and embrace living mindfully. I'm so grateful for your podcast. They're invaluable to me. Sincerely, Joanne. Well, Joanne, thanks so much for reaching out to me. Your your mug is on the way. You'll be receiving it soon. And uh, every morning you can have a nice hot tea or a hot coffee or whatever you prefer in your new mindfulness mode mug. Well, my guest today, sadly enough, was constantly bullied during a certain period in his life and he used his own version of mindfulness to survive. Now, he's a successful and well-known portrait photographer and has helped hundreds of people move forward in their lives through the coaching that he provides. Sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with Jeffrey. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I have Jeffrey Shaw with me today. This is going to be a lot of fun talking. Hey, Jeffrey, are you in mindfulness mode today? I'm always in mindfulness mode, Bruce. That is great. Jeffrey Shaw is one of the most well-known portrait photographers in the United States. His portraits have appeared on Oprah and in People magazine, as well as hundreds and hundreds of other places. He's also host of the successful business podcast called Creative Warriors. Mindfulness plays a key role in Jeffrey's world. He realizes making powerful connections with people is about embracing and understanding their lingo, their specific secret language. Using this insight, Jeffrey teaches entrepreneurs how to attract their ideal customers by learning to speak that proper lingo and therefore make the most powerful connections. So Jeffrey, what does mindfulness mean to you? Uh, you know, it's a state of, it's a constant state of being to me, you know, I mean, I think mindfulness is, uh, yeah, let's say it's a constant state of being of your own, your own presence, but then also, which is so much of what lingo is as a concept and as a book is all about, it's about being, being mindful of others, right? And, and I think one of the, the keys to entrepreneurship and certainly the key to speaking the secret language of your ideal customer is, is empathy, 
And to me, empathy and mindfulness have just go hand in hand. That's why I was so excited about our conversation because we don't think about in business and entrepreneurs, uh, we don't often think about mindfulness from the perspective of being mindful with an empathetic perspective of your, your ideal customers and how you can best serve them. So Jeffrey, have you always had that handle on empathy? Is that the way you were as a kid? I've, I've asked this question of myself and I've asked it of other podcast guests that I've interviewed. Like, is empathy something we have? Is it something we can, we can learn? And of course, the answer typically, as many other things, is we can learn empathy. Um, I do think I have a... I, I was at a dinner party once and we went around the table. The host asked everybody to kind of name their superpower. And uh, I had never honestly given it any thought. This was going back a few years ago when it came around to my turn and I just, I had to answer with empathy. Like I do kind of think that's my superpower. I may have it in a little more abundance than a lot of people. And I think the root of that is my childhood because I was an incredibly shy and withdrawn child well up into my twenties. My whole goal in life is to, to, to retreat and to not be seen. <laughs> and now here I am in a highly visible uh, position in life. But um, I think that that withdrawing, that that sheltering, uh, the shyness, and really the, the skill of observation, which of course led me to becoming a photographer as well. But I think empathy has a lot to do with observing. So the, undoubtedly, I think my history as a shy person probably gave me this additional dose of empathy because you become a masterful observer. And were you a child when you knew you loved photography? Uh, you know, I was more interested in the darkroom back in the day when we had darkrooms. I was more interested yep. in chemical reaction, and I still am. Like, I love to bake for the same reason. Like, I like to see what happens when uh, you, know, you, you, you mix chemicals and ingredients together. Um, honestly, what appealed to me most about photography was it, my, the ability to, to hide in the darkroom. Right? I mean, it seemed like the ideal hobby and, and ultimately profession. Um, to, to hide. However, and I've heard this from a number of authors as well, the, the paradox of that is that you choose a direction of life to withdraw, and then you wind up, if you're good at it, you wind up getting a lot of attention for it. <laughs> so, you know, here this thing, this, this career of photography, I chose uh, thinking it would be a quiet way to go through life. I was, I was good at it, and I wound up working with the most affluent families in the country and, and celebrities and, you know, being on the Oprah show. And next thing I knew, you know, guess what? You have to step up in order to step out and to, to make an impact on the world. So um, it, it wound up pulling me out of my shell, you could say. So Jeffrey, did you start out being a portrait photographer or did you enjoy other types of photography? Um, real quickly, my love became photographing people. I love the, the interaction. Uh, it's a very intimate one with, uh, between photographer and, and subject. I actually went to photography school to photograph architecture, but realized real quickly, as much as I love design and, and angles, it just wasn't fulfilling as much as when I started photographing people. Just, gosh, the relationship that goes on. It's, it's an intimate moment, and I enjoy that, whether it's a family or, or one person that you're photographing. Uh, again, it is, it is a very mindful experience. And uh, as a photographer, I think a, what a, it's very similar. I've, I've practiced yoga for many, many years, and the experience is similar. It's that, and I've always been intrigued, Bruce, by the idea of ma- mindlessness and mindfulness. You know, uh, yes. as a creative person, I've often put out the question of my creative community, my warrior of creative, uh, my community of creative warriors, and asked them, when do they get their best ideas? Is it in moments of mindfulness or moments of mindlessness? And, you know, by and large, I have to say a lot of people 
creative thoughts that often come from mindless activities, right? The showering, the driving in the car. Um, but I believe that mindfulness is the seed that gets implanted in order for the benefit of the mindfulness to come to fruition in a mindless moment. And so for me as a photographer, what I felt, there was that, that, there was that loss of time when I'm photographing people, which is very similar to when I would do yoga, right? When, when I just, I, time flew by and yet I was 110% present. <laughs> um, so it's, it's, it's that state of mind that you get from being mindful. And I, I've experienced the same as a photographer. Well, speaking of that, can you tell us a story of an experience that pops into your mind when you were photographing a person and it was like one of those times when everything just clicked, everything just worked, and you ended up with an amazing photograph? Oh, man. Honestly, Bruce, that's almost every time. Um, wow. Because that's that's the goal, right? I mean, that's I first of all, I've always, as a practice, uh, as a photographer and now as a business coach, I mean, I do uh, a, a call between coaching clients, a podcast interviews that I'm doing for Creative Warriors and being interviewed like we are now. I'm on the phone six hours a day easily. Um, and those calls are back to back. But I, I leave 15 minute buffer in between each call uh, mm -hmm. so that I can reset myself, get myself grounded, be present, um, understand fully and, and understand the lingo of the next person I'm going to speak to. Before we hopped on mic today, I spent some time like, you know, who's this guy? And I read your bio and I went through your website and, you know, what's the lingo of your show and how does your mindful tribe want to connect with me? And, you know, so I take the time before every call and I did that before every portrait session as well. Uh, even in the height of my career when I was really, you know, I had a six at an eight week waiting list. So I was, I was booked, but I always, I've always had a practice of giving myself space so that you can then go into that experience fully mindful. And the result of that is every experience feels that way. Every experience feels like you're watching somebody else's transformation before your lens. And to me, the lens of how I look at the world has just changed. You know, it used to be a stack of glass on a camera lens, but I had the same feeling when I'm standing on stage looking out at an audience. What is the most exciting you ever were when you photographed someone and you saw that photo and you just thought, man, this is, this is an amazing career. You know, I, I think one of those experiences, which turned out to be one of the most profound one, and which is actually the story behind how my photographs wound up on the Oprah show. Um, I had, I did a portrait session for uh, the NBC anchor, David Bloom. Mm -hmm. And, now, you know, the interesting thing was I actually didn't realize who I was showing up to photograph. His wife had come in. His wife's name is Melanie and Melanie Bloom. But I, I didn't make the connection. He, she would refer to her husband, David, because she and I met before the portrait session to plan it out. Um, I remember her saying specifically to me she wanted a beach, beachy look because I was well known for my beach portraits. But they're not beach people. So I found a location which involved a big open field with uh, tall grasses, similar to what you'd find in the beach, and a big ancient tree in the background. So I found this incredible location. We showed up the location, and when I saw him, I recognized him. I was like, oh, you're that David Bloom. Like, I didn't get the connection. Right. I did the portrait session, which I truly knew in the moment were some of the best photographs I was ever taking. Um, everything about it was magical. The light, the setting, the family is beautiful. Their relationship with one another was incredible. And uh, I think it was maybe four or five months later, he died in Iraq uh, while in a tank. 
um, not so much a direct result of the war, but the fact that he was in a confined space for so long as a journalist, he developed a leg uh, clot, blood clot in his leg, which traveled to his lung and killed him. And because he was in the middle of the desert, they couldn't get help to him. He was 39 years old. So when Oprah did a follow-up story on uh, and had Melanie on the show, uh, that's when I was invited out. They used all my photographs. I became the only go-to photographer for Melanie because I connected with her daughters so well. So uh, People Magazine did a follow-up, two episodes, I think they did a follow-up story. And in each case, I photographed uh, Melanie and her daughters. And so I have to say, you know, it was, it was almost as if it was, it was a particularly moving moment doing the photography and then for something so significant to have happened with his his death um it's almost as if in the moment in which i was taking the photographs the the, something powerful was already in play uh because i remember the moment of doing the photography being particularly incredible and then it turns out to be those photographs meant so much Mm. wow uh, Jeffrey, I want to talk about the word lingo. I mean, there are so many ways to talk about how we relate to each other, but you found that word lingo and you went with it, and that describes how you connect with others and how you teach other people to connect with each other. When, when did you know that lingo was your word? Hmm. Oh, that's a great question. You know, I, for the years I've been using the term actually secret language, mm-hmm. uh, which is why that's kind of built into the subtitle. I mean, the subtitle is discover the secret language of your ideal customer and make your business irresistible. Uh, and I did the, the term secret language came up to me and the, the whole story is in, in the book and it sets the stage for the book. Uh, I had a my, my photography business was failing the first three years that I, sh- I was out there struggling and I couldn't figure out why. And then I realized I, was, I just, I was, I was trying to connect with the wrong audience. It wasn't an audience that, that really understood my values or that I understood them. I then set out to find the right clientele, the, my, my ideal customer. And that led me to realize that I really needed, to, it was a luxury product that needed to be sold to the luxury market. So I then became, you know, uh, began a, a study of, of the affluent market, which I knew nothing about growing up lower middle class. And I developed this term secret language because I realized, wow, brands that serve the affluent market uh, have a very particular way of understanding how they think. But then I started realizing that's true in every market, right? Every market, high end, low end, and everything in between has a language to it, you know, and I, I started realizing the language of my own upbringing was became very clear to me, you know, the language of discount and price consciousness and, um, you know, everything very transactional and whereas on the high end, it's very relationship based, not transactional. Uh, it's not cost conscious at all. It's very experience conscious. So when I was looking for how to capture that essence of secret language, that's where the word lingo came from. And I have to say, you know, even after coming up with the term lingo to, because what I wanted to capture was not just the technique. To me, secret language, understand your ideal customer's secret language is almost a technique. But I wanted a word that would capture the essence. And that's where lingo comes from. Because to me, lingo is to speak one's lingo is to kind of really understand their essence, what's in their heart, what's in their soul. So you're speaking their lingo. Like it's very different than speaking their language. There's a certain logic that comes from language. But when you speak someone's lingo, it's like, you know, it's like you have it, you just totally get their soul and their essence and you're speaking to that soul. Um, That's, so what my hope is 
my dream, if you will, I won't even say it's a hope, I'll say it's more of a dream, is I would love lingo as a term to become the new buzzword in marketing so that we get away from such terms as demographics, statistics, and buyer personas. Because those are kind of crass. Right? Yes. You yes. know, they're crass terms for a business trying to manipulate a market to get them to buy where I want to up the game and I want to tell entrepreneurs and small businesses that our new responsibility to succeed in business is to speak people's lingo, to understand their essence and connect with their heart and their souls. And if you haven't earned the right to speak someone's lingo, then A, it may not be the right market for you or you just haven't earned the right. And I think that in the future, I think we're going to have to earn that right to people's business. Well, I think you're right. And uh, one of the things that that pops into my mind is that the word authenticity mm -hmm. has become such a huge buzzword and almost overused. But, you know, I think people want to have authenticity. Sometimes they find it difficult to truly understand how to do that. How do you find authenticity, Jeffrey? Yeah, well, and I think you're right. I mean, I think awesome, authenticity, Bruce, I'll actually tell you, which I haven't shared a lot with a lot of people. I'll yeah. give you the kind of, there's a root story to how this book even came about. Before I even started the book, I was being interviewed on a podcast and it was a business podcast. And out of the blue, I don't know where this question came from. The host asked me, um, he said, what do you think the future of human evolution is? Now, this is a business podcast and this was such a heady question. But what shocked me even more is how quickly I had an answer. And I, I answered it really from a business perspective. What I said back to him was, I think, I think where we're evolving as, as humans is, I think I'd said to him, nonverbal communication. To say it differently, what I'd like to say is, I, I know for certain, having been an entrepreneur now for 33 years, that we live our lives and make decisions, even about who we do business with, from a much more energetic place than we used to. Right? A quote I use all the time to my coaching clients is, People don't hire you because you're the best. People hire you because you get them and they get you. Right. There is, there, we go about our lives now making energetic decisions based on the energy of people. You can be the best in your field, but you know, if somebody doesn't feel good about letting you in their house or doing business with you or your values in the world, even if you're an online business, if they don't feel good about who you are, they won't do business with you. So our authenticity is on stage front and center and people can smell it. I use the term smelling a lot because I like to work uh, in terms of senses. And I, you know, I tell entrepreneurs all the time, even if they're completely in an online business, is that your customers can smell whether you're authentic or not. We just feel it. And I think that's really important for us to know because I don't think people aren't making as logical decisions. They're, they're making decisions on energetically how they feel about doing business with you. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah, it is that sense that people can just tell mm -hmm. and they immediately are drawn to you or not. Correct. And yeah, that's absolutely true. Well, Jeff, your book called Lingo, Discover Your Ideal Customer's Secret Language and Make Your Business Irresistible. Tell me about the process. How mindful did you have to become to actually put this down on paper and communicate what you already know? Yeah, <laughs> that, that's the crazy part. I mean, this is, you could say this is 30 years of experience, right? It wasn't, I mean, yeah. here I am writing this book 30 years after the fact, but I don't know there was any way of doing it otherwise. I mean, there, to me, I had to reflect back on how I built 
you know, a ridiculously successful photography business. I mean, no one independent photographer should have had the good fortune I did. I mean, I worked with the best of the best and an amazing business. But then I also looked at, you know, I coach a lot of coaches. And part of the reason is, is because I built a very successful coaching practice very quickly. People are like, well, how did you do that? You know, because you can get to where you want to go by, you know, the, one of the entire premises of lingo is, is for people to only work with their ideal customer. And I, I speak about this in the book as, as busting up the Pareto principle. The Pareto principle is the 80-20 rule, which basically says eight out of 10 customers are a waste of time. That you're only, you know, 20% of your customers are providing 80% of your income. And I was like, what small business or entrepreneur has time for that? We need all yeah. our customers to pay off. So the goal of Lingo is for businesses to, to, to speak the secret language of their ideal customer. So you're only working with your ideal customer. This idea, I actually, the, the story, the foundational story about me visiting Bergdorf Goodman in New York City, um, a one-of-a-kind uh, department store, um, the, that story is the basis of the book. I shared that story with uh, an editor of very well-known business books. And she looked at me, she goes, you need to write that book. Yeah, like, really? that's a great story yeah. too. She's like, do you think it's, I'm like, do you think it's unusual? She goes, nobody thinks like that. Like you need to write that book and teach people the steps of developing the secret language of your ideal customer. So yeah, I don't, you know, again, I, and, and Bruce, here's the crazy thing about mindfulness is that, you know, even the most mindful amongst us, we so often overlook the things that are most obvious to us. And because this was my life story, because this is how I built businesses, this is just the way I think. I always think from a ridiculously empathetic perspective when it comes to business and other businesses don't. It was so obvious to me, I didn't see it until it was pointed out to me and somebody said, you need to write that book. And so I did. Wow. Cool. Well, you know, you're such a successful photographer. I'm interested to know why you transitioned into becoming a coach. I mean, I know you're still a photographer, but you love being a coach. You're phenomenally good at it. How and why did you make that transition in the first place? Yeah, it's, you know, and, and I do very little photography now. I mean, truthfully, um, you know, it's, I'm a primarily business coach, keynote speaker, you know, and now I can say author uh, and a podcast host. Uh, so the transition, it's just sort of unfolded. And, you know, I, through my interviews, interviewing so many people, I've really kind of embraced the idea of life unfolding. And I actually refer to that term uh, on my website at jeffreyshaw.com as far as life unfolding, because, you know, a lot of these things that come about in our lives aren't huge pivots, right? And then for me, this just all unfolded. I was very successful in an unusual career, mm -hmm. um, yeah, somebody said to me statistically, I'm probably one of ten photographers in the country that that reached the level of success I did as a as a one you know one photographer. It's not like I had a uh, a firm, and um, you know when you're successful in a certain industry, people started reaching out to me, asking for my advice. But I wanted to be legitimate about it. I I wanted to know I could give advice, but I wanted to know how to hold people. I wanted to know how to support people. What was the psychology that people, again, I just, I've always been fascinated. It's lingo, right? I wanted to know, you know, how do you really hold and support someone before I coach them? Um, and so I initially was coaching photographers, which then real quickly became obvious that there are, you know, what I'm good at, what my area of expertise is, is that I enjoy coaching and supporting entrepreneurs who are doing something unusual, 
right? They might be coaches, they might be designers, they might be event planners, jewelry designers, other coaches, uh, podcast hosts, authors, speakers. You know, it's, it's our community of creative warriors, those of us that are out there doing something different, putting ourselves on the line. And I, I seem to have a psychology that resonates for that. Um, because my, my uh, way of building business is an empathetic, relationship-based uh, model, uh, which works well for that type of business. Jeffrey, you're a storyteller, <laughs> and you're a fantastic storyteller. How did you get on The Moth, which is a, an incredible <laughs> program? Yeah, that was really fun. I There's a moth, you know, for anyone who's not familiar with The Moth, it's an NPR show nationally, but then regionally, many major cities have moth events and uh, I, I, I'm sure there's a moth event in New York City but all the years I lived there I never once went to it and I moved to Miami which I think is the refreshing part of moving to a new city because um, you know I didn't really know anybody here so I, I pushed myself to get out and, and know people and my roots being as a shy person I can easily you know avoid those things um, but I found out about a moth a monthly moth event here in Miami and I started going um, and it's a five minute story and there's a, and any given moth event might be 150 to 200 people at this particular event and they draw 10 speakers and I was going month after month putting my name in the hat and every month there's a theme so you have to tell a story in the theme so I was putting my name in the hat and uh, not getting chosen and of course, the one time I go with, with a friend, um, I put my name in the hat. I, I always made sure I at least had a thread of an idea of what I would talk about on that theme, but I didn't have a fully developed story. And of course, don't you know, I not only got called, but I was the first speaker of the evening called. So nobody's even drunk yet. So right. it's, it's the worst position to be in, but it was a blast. So I got up and told my five minute story and it, it, it actually went over really well. It was, it's a whole lot of fun to, um, and, I, and I do it because I, Yes, I am a storyteller. You can tell I'm quite talkative. Um, our journey often in business and in life is to figure out how to get our messages across. And this is so important in, in marketing. And, and I talk about this a lot in lingo. Like, how can we get our point across in the shortest amount of time possible? And that's what I love about the idea of, uh, of the moth. So how to tell a meaningful story, a poignant story in five minutes. One of the marketing lessons I teach in lingo is what I call a standout statement, which is can you, it's, it's a challenge to come up with a sentence that's between three and seven words. Uh, it's got a very specific structure, three to seven words where you tell someone what you stand for, what you value, and you call forward your ideal customer because they feel the same. And can you do that in three to seven words? Because that's about all the time you have in marketing today to get somebody's attention. Um, and it can be done. It can be done. And that's, that's our journey. Our journey is to say all that we need to say in the shortest amount of time possible. Jeffrey, were you ever bullied? Do you have a bullying story you can share with us? Uh, yeah. I mean, I was bullied most of my childhood, to be honest with you. Um, mm. Certainly through middle school uh, were really, really tough years for me. Um, I spent most of the, and, and when I was growing up, we had seventh and eighth grade in middle school. So just the two years. And I spent most of those two years in the guidance counselor office uh, because I wouldn't go to the cafeteria. I wouldn't, I, you know, I, I went from class to the guidance counselor office to avoid the bullies. Uh, but uh, yeah, I was bullied on the bus. I was a shy, withdrawn kid, very sensitive, um, you know, not as tough as the other boys. Um, and uh, yeah, most certainly bullied. Wow. And looking back, is there, 
do you have any thoughts about how you would have used mindfulness to deal with that differently? Who, um, you know, I think the sensitivity that I carried with me was the mindfulness, honestly, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, I wasn't, there was no way I ever could have taken the advice. And I, I see TV shows about bullying and, you know, on sitcoms or what have you. And, you know, somebody's always advising the person being bullied to stand up to the bully. Mm -hmm. There was no way that was ever going to happen for me. Right. So the mindfulness for me um, was, I was very aware that I was being bullied, but I was very mindful that that person had a problem. Mm -hmm. And I actually think it's the mindfulness that helped me survive it. And I've actually, you know, I've, I've gone to counselors and therapy and uh, all the time I spent in the guidance counselor's office was to be with a therapist. And that was often pointed out to me. Okay, I honestly never really took on the victim role. Um, I was being victimized, but I looked at it with the, from the perspective of like that, person has an issue. I'm okay. I always carried with me a certain amount of self-awareness and self-confidence. Despite the fact I was shy, I was actually inwardly quite confident. And I was confident that the issue is not mine. I was very mindful that it was actually the, the issue was with the bully. Right. And you knew to get yourself to that guidance office. You knew yeah. that that was one way that you could prevent yourself from falling into the trap of becoming a victim, didn't you? Yeah. I mean, it just was never, I never could have taken the advice. I, I had two older brothers and a, a father and, um, you know, the, like I was, you know, typical sibling interaction. My older brothers were constantly picking on me and bullying me. And, you know, the advice always was to me was toughen up. Yes. Right. My parents would always say toughen up. Right. Which to this day never made sense to me. I'm like, why should I toughen up? Like, why are you telling the, you know, the person being bullied to toughen up to meet that person as opposed to telling the bully to knock it off? Right. But exactly. you realize, but, and then my, but again, being mindful of the situation, I was like, well, I was, it was just the easier route. You know, and a lot of times parents, know, knowingly or not, just pick, they just choose the easier route. It was easier to tell me to toughen up than it was ever to tell older brothers to take it easy on your little brother. Right. Because they were tougher. Yeah. They, they, there was more resistance. I was the path of least resistance. So oddly enough, I was very mindful of this dynamic. Even as a very young kid, I was very mindful that this was the dynamic, which allowed me to hold on to a significant amount of self-worth and confidence that I, I was like, I'm okay. I don't know what's wrong with these people, but I'm okay. And I'll just wait until I can find my right place in the world. And, um, and when I do, I'll be able to shine. That's great insight, Jeffrey. And I, I wanted to ask you, do you meditate? Is that part of your life? Um, I, you know, I, not on a steady practice as far as what we think of meditation. Uh, yoga to me is a form of meditation because yes. it's, it's especially the type of yoga I practice is Iyengar yoga, um, which is very particular. It's a very particular type of yoga. So it's, it's very meditative. Um, my most steady ongoing practice, and I share this in lingo is what I call a what's going right journal. And, uh, this is one could say, I mean, this is probably my strictest form of meditation because I'm consistent with it and I see tangible results from it. And that was important to me. The root of the what's going right journal is that for me is I always struggled with gratitude journals. Uh, I was never able to keep an ongoing practice of gratitude journals or even gratitude because quite honestly, I'm grateful for everything. I mean, you wake up in the morning, you're breathing, the sun is shining, your kids are healthy. Like what's not to be grateful for? Mm -hmm. so it was very broad for me. So I had a hard time doing anything with gratefulness. And at the end of the day, I'm a 
pretty action oriented guy. I like results. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, sure. And I just couldn't, I couldn't get tangible results from gratitude other than feeling really good. And I suppose it broadly changed my perspective you know, of my life a little bit, but it wasn't tangible enough. So I started this what's going right journal, which is journaling five, 10 minutes a day on what's going right. What's, what's flowing in, what, what's going in my favor. And of course, you know, you know, what happens when we do that? We see more of what's going right. Of course. Right. I mean, so to me, it has had a very tangible result of inward flow is what I refer to it. And that's how I talk about it in the, uh, the book. And the, by the way, let me just set some stage here. The Lingo is a, a very interesting business book, I think, because the last quarter or so of the book is very self-help oriented. And certainly for your mindful tribe, this is the part of the book that they probably will really love. Right. Um, and I did this very strategically against opposition. Ed, my editor, and, and uh, who has grown to love it, but originally it was like, this seems kind of disconnected from a business book. And I said, well, you know, here's the deal. I, I'm teaching people how to build a business and I can provide all those strategies. But what I know from my 33 years of experience is that when you just give people strategies, but if you don't help them unblock what's in their way, and if you don't give them practices to create inward flow, you can give them all the strategies you want and they're just gonna stay running on the hamster wheel, right? Because you're just applying more effort, but you're not getting off the wheel. And what gets you off the wheel is unblocking what's in your way, which is why at the end of Lingo, I offer three specific mindset shifts. And then I offer three daily practices, the what's going right journal being one of them to create an inward flow. So now to me, you've got the complete formula for success. You've unblocked ways of thinking that are getting in your way. You've created the channels of inward flow, and then you're applying smart strategies. That is the answer to success. The problem is that we're so often missing one of those three pieces. I think that is extremely powerful. And I think that, uh, you know, Mindful Tribe, get your hands on this book because this is incredible to, you know, learn what Jeffrey is sharing. So, yeah, thanks, Jeffrey, for for outlining that. Jeffrey, as we move toward the end of the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions and just 30 second answers are fine. The first one is this, who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness practice? Oh, well, I'd have to say BKS Iyengar, who's the founder and creator of Iyengar Yoga and, and the teachers that I've had as a result of that. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Jeffrey? Uh, Greater stability. You know, um, we're very emotional beings as a creator, uh, a creative person. It's probably, you know, even more exaggerated. Uh, so mindfulness has created curiosity, which creates a stability of, of mind. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. <laughs> uh, very much, you know, in yoga, we refer to it as pranayama. And um, so I've, you know, I, I can remember uh, I have three kids and who are adults now, but one of my daughters was young had a really bad toothache, toothache. And I taught her to breathe through the toothache. And I had, I had double, I had two hernias, which I chose to have surgery done separately without anesthesia because I convinced the doctor because I didn't, I didn't want to go through the uh, general anesthesia. Uh, so we did them separately and, and um, I breathed through those surgeries. He didn't think it could be done. And I was like, I can do it. <laughs> so it's been a big part of my life. 
Very, very interesting. If you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, and I know your own book, Lingo, is awesome for this, but what other book would you recommend? So I have to say, it's probably my favorite book title of all times, too. It's called Going to Pieces Without Falling Apart. Uh, by Mark Epstein. It's probably, it's not a new book. It's probably been out a long time, but truly, I think it's one of the best titles of all time, going to pieces without falling apart. And I think that's often what we need to do in life. You know, our life falls apart, of life events come along, and we, we can go to pieces, but we don't, don't have to fall apart. It is a great title, <laughs> Going to yeah. Pieces Without Falling Apart. And I have not read that. So thanks for suggesting it. It hasn't been recommended on the show before. Do you recommend an app which helps to be more mindful? You know, there are a couple apps out there that pop up. I don't use one. Um, it's funny, and I'm a, such a digital guy. I mean, I do yeah. everything digital. But to me, mindfulness is that it, it's just ever-present. This, to me, you know, one of the greatest benefits of having studied yoga for as long as I did, it's particularly Iyengar yoga, which is very particular. Uh, I always say it, more than anything, it, it expanded my peripheral mindfulness. Um, you know, at any given moment, I might be looking in one direction, but sensing everything else around me. Um, and I, I contribute that all to my uh, training in yoga, which to me has all been about mindfulness. Jeffrey, it's been an honor to have you on the show. How can Mindful Tribe reach out and connect with you? Well, we've actually, actually put together a, a Lingo media kit for your Mindful Tribe, which they can get at jeffreyshaw.com forward slash mindfulness mode easy to remember. So jeffreyshaw.com, mindfulness mode. And in that lingo media kit, there's actually an infographic of the five steps of building the secret language of your ideal customer. It's a free chapter of the book, which is all about perspective, which I think is the most important chapter of all, um, because it is about the empathy and the mindfulness of your ideal customer, understanding their perspective. And there's an audio version of that chapter as well. So uh, your tribe can get that at, uh, again, jeffreyshaw.com forward slash mindfulness mode. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that with Mindful Tribe. That is fantastic and fantastic to have you on the show. So thanks again, Jeffrey, and have a terrific rest of your day. Thank you. You do the same. Thank you for having me. I will. Bye now. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest name or episode number into the search bar. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen. Maybe it's iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever. Hit subscribe and share. Subscribing and sharing helps keep Mindfulness Mode on the air. Subscribe and share, share, share. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.